Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on LND. This episode puts the spotlight on Anna Sabramovich. Anna is not only an instructional designer, but also runs a coaching program with her partner, Ryan. In this coaching program, she helps instructional designers create beautiful interactive scenarios with Storyline 360 using narrative scenario dynamics. During this episode, Anna talks about storytelling and shares the framework of designing effective scenarios. She also breaks down the recipe and ingredients of storytelling, creating relatable characters, grabbing the attention of the learner, and much more. Listen as she shares the secret sauce on how to break down complex and wide topics into simplified story scenarios, tweaking stories, to fit the audience, match the correct media with the correct story, provide critical feedback to learners, and much, much more. Follow her on LinkedIn and learn more about her journey on the Scenario Secrets podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into this interesting discussion about storytelling. Hi, Anna. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me and my listeners um, on instructional design. I really am excited about having you on my episode today. Ah, it's an absolute ple- pleasure. I just, um, I'm excited that you asked me. So yeah, this is awesome. Let's have some fun. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh yeah. Before we get to the fun part though, Anna, um, I want to kind of hear about your instructional design journey. Like what what brought you to ID? What, what intrigued you about L&D to, to step into where you're at right now? So, okay, so by my ridiculously long last name, you probably realize I'm actually from, I'm an immigrant kid from Poland. So um, nothing, nothing special. But um, one of the things that happens when, you know, you're the child of a single mom, she tells you that the way to redeem yourself for all her sacrifices is to go to university and get a degree, right? So I thought I was going to be a teacher. Um, and that's kind of been my trajectory because I love helping people and I get my energy from people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought I was going to be a teacher. But that didn't pan out last year of university. I, my funding was cut, my student loan. So I had to get into like a, a call center environment to pay the bills, which was horrific for me. Um, but luckily what happened is as a result of just getting, I got into a right organization. They really invested heavily in L&D. And as a, as a result, I got to kind of invest in myself and moved up from like a call center jockey all the way to trainer. And there I just freaking loved it. And that's where I discovered like scenarios and um, that's where I got my um, certifications. It just, you know, an adult education, which is completely different, but also I thought kind of way more awesome, to be honest, working with adults rocks. So, um, so that was fantastic. So that kind of like was organic. And then because of the crash in like 2008, um, everything kind of like, it was a financial uh, call center. So we kind of you know, lost people. So I had to find a job. And that's when I went official into instructional design, which is kind of an accident, but, and a little bit of a transition, but I think a lot of people make that where they go from trainer 
to instructional designer because you have to start designing materials. Right. So that was my foray. And then, and then, then, then there's a whole nother story. About I, I, I would love to listen to that story. And I, that's the part that I want to get into. So how did you make the switch from L&D? Because that's a very broad term, but your yeah. niche is storytelling. And I want to hear yeah. that part of the, of the story. How did you decide that this is this is where my talent is going to blossom because you you take storytelling to a whole different level so that's a great question so yeah for years i was in lnd and i did corporate i did um, academia for a while that was interesting uh, but what happened is i got frustrated with um at that point i think a lot of people how they understood uh, e-learning. And it wasn't like everybody's on the same page about this. It was just that the places that I was working at thought e-learning was just taking taking screenshots of things, adding hotspots to those things, and they called that e-learning. Or uh, wow. they took presentations from speakers and they said, let's make it pretty. And, you know, I was using Articulate Presenter at the time. And I was like, yeah, let's convert this into something fun. But after a while, when you're doing that, you realize that what's happening is you're constantly trying to reimagine the way content is presented. And what happens is you, you start, like for me, I started doubting myself. I'm like, how come this is so hard? And how come I have to keep on imagining new ways to click and reveal, you know, um, click and reveal phrases and, you know, do like you're, you're on this constant search. And I don't know if any of you can relate on this constant search of like, the coolest new software, the coolest new interaction. You're scouring the internet to see if you can, there's a cooler way to show I something. I identify like, with that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, how can I make this cool and interesting? Right. And then what I realized is that there's there's a level above that, that by what happened is I, um, I saw a couple of amazing examples that really resonated with me. And for some people, these might be like, oh my God, you're old, but... <laughs> But uh, I checked out like um, Connection Studios, Doug Nelson, he put together Connect with Haji Kamal. Right. Saw that. I was like, that's cool. Why is that so cool? Where's all the content? Where's all the, where's all the stuff? It's so I'm well packaged. Something. Right? I'm, yeah. But I'm learning something. Right. And then another one was um, Michael Allen from Allen Interactions. Mm-hmm. He was kind of the pioneer in that kind of immersive learning, right? Serious right. games. He had this really cool, um, really cool um experience that was like for police officers about like street patrol officers, how to identify gang members and all this stuff. And I was like, this is so hard, but it's so immersive Mm -hmm. and I feel challenged. I really love this. So I saw those two experiences and many more from, from, you know, from especially Michael Allen. And I was like, why is this working? Why do I love this so much? And it was, it was, it wasn't actually me who discovered it. It was, um, my partner, Ryan, he's kind of not in my world. He's like a web developer guy, but he's really into comic books. And he's like, you know, it's working. It's because there's story in there. And I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, I want to, I, this is what I want to do. Because right. the thing is, one of the coolest things why I got into storytelling is because we realize that if you really enjoy that experience as, your, as an adult yourself, and you don't mind going back to your own projects, how many of us do projects and we're like, I never want to see that thing again. That was so horrible. Like, oh, but I've gone back to my projects over and over again going, this is so fun. This is so immersive. I really enjoy this. And I'm like, this is the kind of work I want to put together. So it's not throwing out everything else. It's, it's augmenting. Yeah. It's augmenting what you're doing with, with stories and, um, 
and with this and with a mindset that um, adults, just like anybody else, need to be convinced, persuaded, induced, <laughs> all those things right. before they're sold on the info. So right. that's that for me. I was like, yeah, because after you go through connect with Haji Kamal, let's say, which is an experience about cultural competence, mm -hmm. you can say, well, I really didn't do so well there. I didn't really help them. I wonder if there's any kind of, you know, resources that would help me be more culturally competent. Boom, there's your content. Awesome. But before that, you've primed them with a really wicked uh, experience that has a story and scenarios in it. Boom. Awesome. Great. Right. And that's to me, I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. So I crafted my own broken coworker, which is super fun. <laughs> and, uh, and then from there, I just created a framework that I could just reuse because um, I just wanted to do more of it more often. And, and the rest is history, right? And the rest, the rest is absolute history. history. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> totally agree. And I'm, big, I'm a big fan. And, you know, there's a lot of theory behind what you're saying because we tend to, as human beings, tend to remember stories better than facts, which are isolated and not connected because story kind of has that rhythm that weaves everything through and it sticks with you. It becomes memorable. Um, and then there's, a, there's there's the human brain has a filing system from what I understand the research says and stories kind of help us file and make those connections. And that's how it sticks with you. Um, so that that is why stories do so much better than those click and reveal or, you know, because I think we just as a learner, if I put myself in the shoes of a learner, a lot of times we are just, um, you know, just the, the, the reflex of next, 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 I'm done with the screen, like it's automated and there's no real learning that's taking place, which is where storytelling comes in and does such a beautiful job. Um, and I want to say the, the, to prime my, my audience that Storytelling is different from telling stories to kids because it's it's different from making it up as you go along. There's a lot of strategy behind it. And I want to kind of pick your brain a little bit about more of strategic storytelling. But before we get that, can we get really, really basic? What is the definition of storytelling? How, how is it different from the stereotypical scenario-based learning, which we all hear about all the time? Okay, and first off, Sandhya, you are like a storytelling student. You are, you're no joke. You know your stuff, which I love, which I love. Thank so you. I'm in great company. Um, okay. So it, it's interesting because I think that people think that scenarios are stories, but really they're not. A scenario is just a situation. Right. A story, and I know people are going to overcomplicate this, but I say learn the rules first. And then you can get more complicated later. You know, it's kind of like do your first masterpiece and then you can do avatar later. Okay. <laughs> so storytelling is very simple. There's a, a protagonist. So a character, they want something and something's in the way. That's a story. There's a beginning, middle, end. Yes, people will fight me on this as well. But most stories actually people mess up. They don't even put an end to it. They just start like a scenario is just like a start. <laughs> There's no character. They don't want anything. Nobody wants anything. So you have a a character, so somebody who wants something, mm -hmm. and something's getting in the way. That's it. So if you think about it, really, um, if, if you're designing something like a scenario-based experience, and you want to incorporate storytelling, you already got the middle, because the scenarios are like the conflict, right? Something's getting in the way. Mm -hmm. And if you want to add a character who wants something at the end, and all of these situations get, are getting in the way, great. But you got to have that character and that desire. 
If you don't have those things, it's not a story. But if you do, mm-hmm. beautiful. It'll work. Okay. And, and I know you you kind of chunked it into three segments, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And there's a lot to those ingredients. So <laughs> can you break it down for me in terms of planning and designing? What what kind of ingredients go into storytelling? Because that's the recipe, right? That's that's mm-hmm. You have your ingredients and then you have your recipe that you put together. So you gave me the recipe. Give me the ingredients. Okay. And, and just to let everybody know that um, you can have the ingredients in the recipe, but you still have to massage it because just because you mush everything together, right? Have you ever made a cake without oh, the right, you know, you got to whip it It's like a separately. salad that's just thrown together, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So the dressings, yeah. So first, let's talk about the character, right? Um, um, one of the things you want to do with your character uh, is to make them relatable. And a relatable person, it's kind of interesting because most people when they're like, oh, I got to have a character, but I, I want them to be relatable to all these different kinds of people in my organization. So they think they have to do 25 different stories because there's people who are single, there's people who are married, there's wow. people who are executives. There's no need. There is no need for you to do that. Because what all you have to do is give that person, that character, characteristics that people can relate to. That's all it means. Because like, let's say you were watching a movie my favorite example is uh, gravity with Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. You have never, most of us have never been in space. We don't know what it's like to be an astronaut and all the things that it takes to get there. But somehow we relate to these people. Why? Because we hear about that they have kids. We hear about the fact that they love country music. We hear about the fact that their wife, you know, cheated on them, whatever it is, right? So all those things make somebody relatable. So when you're making your characters, make sure you ground them somehow. They're not just a, human who wants to be the best at onboarding and at the end they're going to be the best at onboarding like i don't care about that person but if this is john and john has a family he can't wait to go home and play with his kids i mean i i'm I'm not john i'm never going to be but i mean i'm already like hey he's a good guy he loves his kids that's awesome you know um and he's been struggling lately because maybe they had a new baby and he's not getting enough sleep and he's been very you know terrible at work and he's slipping Mm -hmm. that's already just a few sentences you're like i can imagine john in my mind i think he's a good dude cares about his family cool he's also struggling because you know new baby and he's not getting enough sleep great done right and you will relate to him and 99 of the people will relate to him too because he's he's got a connection to the outside world as well so just a couple of little things but those things make a difference a lot of people make the mistake of saying here's here's susan she wants to be the best. Help her be the best. Right. The utopia, right? They bring in yeah. the utopia right away. Yeah. But then it's like, why though? Give them a why. Right. Because that why makes you want to say, hey, I want to see if Susan actually makes it to the end because I want to see if she gets her why. Right. And that's huge too. So, um, so of course, the character, so relatable characters, uh, the middle part is the conflict. Mm-hmm. And the conflict is challenges. And this is easy. It's like, what's difficult about getting to this outcome? Like, let's say Susan wants to be the best salesperson, but what's getting in the way? She doesn't have a good rapport with clients. She cannot, um, she doesn't know how to handle objections. She uh, doesn't know how to, uh, uh, she doesn't know much about the product. So those are all different challenges that she has to overcome in order to become the best salesperson. Mm -hmm. So those are easy. Like you talk to a subject matter expert, it's like, what makes this difficult? Boom, 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 right? right? Easy. And then and then the end, at the end, that that 
desire that you're satisfying, it has to be personal to that character. It, it can be, and I, and I mean, there's layers to this. There's, I'm totally like, you know, giving you the big picture framework. Completely yes. understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what happens is at the end, you want to make it so that kind of like, you know, when you go, like you watch something like Shrek and at the end, not only does Shrek get the princess, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm giving it away. But if you haven't seen Shrek, I mean, I've seen Shrek. seriously, <laughs> everybody should see Shrek. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> But at the end, not only is Shrek uh, married to the princess, but also all of the magical creatures are at his swamp. Wedding. Yeah. And in the very beginning, he was all alone and he hated everybody and he wanted them to stay out. So the difference, the, the end is so satisfying because you're like, man, this character has really gone through all these challenges to become this amazing, you know, ogre mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be that difference between the beginning and the end that makes us feel like it's a really satisfying ending. So for Susie, it might be, yes, she gets, you know, she gets to be on top of the stage with, you know, with that, yeah, I got it. I, I'm the top salesperson. Can you believe it? But also there's got to be something a little bit deeper. Like, you know, maybe she gets to call her mom and be like, mom, guess what? I finally did it. Maybe that's at the beginning. We kind of set that up, right? Her mom's, you know, maybe that matters or Hey, guess what, mom? I'm going to be able to bring you with me on this trip because I made the bonus. Awesome. Those are cool things, right? right? So you just, you want to say, how do you personalize that experience without bloating it too much? Because a lot of us, you know, like you get, once you develop your character, you get all attached to them and you think you have to tell everybody all those other details. Right. But even when you look at something like Broken Coworker, in, I think, nine sentences, we were able to set up all the drama why Sam wants to be, you know, why Sam is kind of a loser right now. What's he struggling with? So you, one of your challenges there is just how can I, how can I create connection to my character, which is very important. One of the most important things, create a connection with my character so that people want to finish that story and want to help them make good decisions. But also how can I do that in the least words possible? Yeah, yeah. You you referred to the structure in, in passing. Um, you know, when you're watching soap operas, there are so many different structures you come across, right? There's the there's the conflict or the troubled beginnings with the happy ending. Mm-hmm. There's also those that, that kind of flip the script and say, um, let me start with the end and then we work our way backwards, almost in retrospective, right? Three hours ago, five hours ago, 10 days ago. How yeah. do you decide which structure is going to work for which audience? And what are the different types of structures? Because there are so many. There are so many. So I'm not going to get into too many of them, but I'm going to say that, okay, so uh, I would say stick to the stick to the classic, not so good, not so awesome, awesome at the end. Okay. Typical Scrooge, right? <laughs> it's terrible in the beginning, alone, happy in the end together. Great. That one's good. Just master that one. There are a couple of people actually in my coaching community who have like, I want to do something different. And I'm like, cool. Okay. It's experimental. Let's do it. So they started off with um, something that's happened. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a flashback where um, one of the things it's, you are flipping the script. You're saying, here's something that, that was terrible. Can you prevent it? And then, so all the decisions are kind of in retrospect saying, can you make better decisions to get to a different ending at the end? Right. So there's that way. It is more challenging, especially if that's your first story for your first story. I wouldn't recommend it unless you got like, you know, resources guide and a coach, but mm-hmm. 
it's doable. It's of course doable. Right. So um, it's not really, it, not, it doesn't, it's funny because it has nothing to do with really your audience. It has to do with your intent. It has to do with your goal because that's, you know, you said, you said this, this uh, very interesting thing, like that the stories that we tell are not the same stories that we say to our children. Right. Um, and, and there's a, uh, there's a fundamental truth there. Um, it is still storytelling because one of the things we know is that, you know, we, as children, we enjoyed those stories for a reason. Right. And it was because they yeah, helped us deals. learn things. <laughs> They're also <Yeah>. fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, they are fairy tales. Yes. Um, but they, they, um, they resonate with a part of our brain that is, is set up to listen to those stories set up to understand them and to get lessons from them. So that's a good thing. That's a great thing. So you are leveraging that child brain. At absolutely. But the difference is, and it's actually, it's interesting because most fairy tales have a purpose. They're teaching you something. I mean, uh, many people would argue with me about this, but I think all of the, you know, the Disney stories, they're based on really old ancient tales. Right. They're all meant to teach you something. So we're naturally keen to get lessons from things. And we do that. We always learn from organically. Yeah, Yeah, we do. And so the ones, but the ones with, um, but, but the reason I think it's important that you said that is because I think a lot of people think that they can just dawdle in a story and be like, I'm just going to keep going and get creative, but your story for adults and for training has to have intent because you don't have much time. (laughs) Never, you never do. Uh, But also, um, you're, it's probably not the only thing you're going to do. You'll probably want them to check out that story and then do a whole bunch of other things. So how can you be the most efficient, the most provocative, the most motivating and the most persuasive right. to get them to do whatever it is you want them to do? Right, right. Which takes me to the beginning of the story, right? Because yeah. we there's so much research these days on how to hook the reader, how to hook the listener, how to hook the viewer, right? Because our attention spans are so short with all that we are getting bombarded with how do you hook the viewer how do you hook them into the story what are some of the techniques you use to get their attention um well you can very simply put your character in um high drama right away so have something happen to them that's unfair Mm -hmm. uh have something um put them in a situation where they have to make a a really difficult decision right away. Like it's, it's, you're, you're amping up the stakes. So can you make the stakes as high as possible? Like if we begin the story with everything's great and, um, and, you know, one day uh, we have to do, you know, uh, somebody comes by and we have to tell them, are we going to cut the lawn this short or this short? Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, that's nobody cares about that. That's boring. (laughs) But if you say, listen, listen, John's about to, um, John's neighbor is about to come over and uh, he's about to decide whether it's like three inches or four inches. Now you might think that's not important, but, but it's a difference between a house sale or no house sale. We're talking about $50,000 in the bank or zero in the bank, you know, whatever. So you're like, how can I, what you're trying to do is, um, and it's interesting because we're like, oh, that's all my, a lot of people say this, my content's boring or my, <laughs> my training's boring It's for accountants. Now, if you meet the right accountant, they'll be super excited about that topic, right? You know this, right? They'll, yeah. they're like, they'll geek out on it. Just like we're geeking out on stuff that most yeah, people would be exactly. like, I don't care. Right. So if you can, if you can find out what it is that that person, 
like amp it up to 11 and, and be unabashedly um, um, dramatic. Like, dra yes, dramatic about it. Because one of the things is you are trying to hook them. I love that you're using that word because it is all about hooking people. Totally. Because yes. everything, everything is bombarding them. So yes. can you hook them? Can you, can you make them stop scrolling and be like, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this looks cool. This looks yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so can you do that? And then once they're, you've got them, amp up that emotion because we lose so much through the screen. We lose so much through, they're, they're used to like, if you look at the top YouTube videos, they're just bombastic in your face, stuff's happening, there's prizes, you know, you don't have that. <laughs> so what can you do to amp up the emotion to 11 and put the stakes up really high for that character so that if they fail, something is at stake and people will appreciate and, and resonate with that and want to continue. I think that's a really cool way of hooking your your uh, viewer. Um, you also said one of the things that all of us feel the pain of is we don't have the luxury of time. How do you ensure that your stories are short, focused, to the point, are hitting the nail on the head? Two things. So when you're first writing your story, don't censor yourself because you want to get it all out. A lot of people go, I'm just going to edit this in my head um get it all out so yeah. the first thing is just get all the stuff out the 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 trimming the killing your darlings as stephen king said i think murder your darlings he said yeah. is happens in the editing process so you're just going and you're being ruthless with yourself that's the hardest part the editing is one of the hardest things to do because what you're doing is you're saying oh that was such a good idea uh but it's really my baby and if one of the things you can do too, and I think this is uh, this is the strategy I use. Let's say um, you have like a whole bunch of situations or details, cut some of them out, mm -hmm. read the thing out loud again, and then be like, hmm, that doesn't change the story in any way. It doesn't diminish it. So take pieces out and see if it impacts the story negatively. And if it doesn't leave them out, because it's not necessary. Okay. Now, part two of that, part two of the editing, and you do that process like, Editing takes, editing is a process that is many, many, many uh, times. Like right. just, and, but you, what you have to do is you have to give yourself space. So write that thing, do a brain dump, and then go away. Let your subconscious mind work on it. Come back, look at it. Now you get a chance to look at it with fresh eyes. Right. Okay, oh, totally different. So there's that. And then the other pieces, have other people look at it and be like, is this, is this long? Do I, you know, go on? It's, it's all about getting that feedback because if you just do it by yourself, well, you're not an artiste. You are crafting pieces for other people to enjoy. So you have right. to get feedback to make it good. Right, right. Um, one of the things that I personally struggle with is taking a big topic and making it simple because a lot of times the SMEs want to jam in so much information, right? They just bombard you with information. When you get a complex highly in, intricate process that you have to put in a storytelling piece. How do you take that complex topic and make it simple for the audience? That's an amazing question. Wow. Um, okay. So there's several approaches you could do here. One is if it's a process already, that's actually pretty cool because okay. you can just make a story around the process. That's pretty awesome. The thing is, you have to think about your audience a little bit too. If 
here's, here's where you can frustrate people. If I'm, if I'm already a person who uh, knows, perceives my gap, understands that uh, there is a 10 step process for like, let's say putting on a tire. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want for you is to do is tell me a story about it. I don't want to go through Like if my toilet is like overflowing, I always use this example. If my toilet's overflowing, I'm going to go to YouTube. I don't want to see a story. I don't even want to see a, an HD vid. I just want to see like the just in time solution. Yes. I want you to give me the 30 second. How the heck do I fix this? Cause I got an urgent problem and I want step-by-step. Step. Right. So you gotta, you have to be sensitive to that because it's easy to, to add storytelling to pepper it in everywhere. And yes, then you'll just yeah. frustrate people. Right. So there's that. So in some, in some instances, if the process is, if the process is riddled with um, decisions that are emotionally based, then yeah, definitely want to put in stories in there because uh, especially scenario-based questions, because then you can look at those biases and the way you make those decisions through a character's eyes, which is really cool because then you can say, oh, this person is like really timid and they always say, don't say anything at this point. They always back down. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So you can, so if the process is riddled with those kinds of decisions, you can either walk through the entire process and have those decisions outlined, or what you can do is you can make a story about a part of that process where people struggle the most. And then you can say, okay, John's done steps one to four. And here's where he gets, what would you do next? Right. And so you've set him up it's through his eyes. So it's cool because then I'm not, I'm not thinking you're challenging me personally. I'm looking through his eyes. So this is good. That, that character piece is really useful. And then I just have that little piece that really people, most people struggle with. And that's the part I focus my story on. I see. see. Yeah. That's a very creative way of doing it. It's almost like putting it into context, right? You set the context in place. Now let's get, let's hit the nail on the head and get the the, the actual meat of the matter out of the way. Yes. Um, and in, so, so far we've talked about just a learning and development scenario. Now, storytelling is, is much broader than, than just an L&D, L&D situation. You know, there's storytelling for the audience, but there's also different audiences like the sales audience or a leader telling a story where there's learning is probably taking a, a little bit of a backseat, but there's a message when a leader is doing the storytelling. Yeah. How do you how do you switch the perspective? The same story for a salesperson versus a leader um, talking to his company, for, for instance. Um, I wouldn't say I have as much experience with developing the leadership stories. Uh, the, I think most of the experience that I would have there would be coming from somebody like Nancy Duarte, who has developed you know, uh, persuasive stories for, for leaders. The, the, um, what happens is the, I think there, um, you're still, one of the things you want to do is you really want to connect with people, right? Because it's, if you, if people don't resonate with that story, whether you're the character Mm -hmm. or somebody else is the character in your learning story, you're still trying to, to share that message, right? There's a different, both of those are persuasion pieces, though. There is there's not no getting around that for it's, it's funny because we think that I'm not saying everybody does, but a lot of people believe that adults are self-driven, self-motivated. And you just if they just they're presented with the right info, they'll do the right thing. And that would mean that all of us would have six packs because we know what to do with exercise and we know what to eat, of course. Right. And I'm self-directed. 
But that's not the truth. The It's truth the right is, information at the right point in time. If I'm ready for it, right. if I'm emotionally primed and you've persuaded me that this is the right course of action for me, and I've persuaded myself, I've sold myself on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so that's what those stories are doing. So whether you're the leader speaking about something mm -hmm. or whether I'm designing a training story, I'm both of those instances are me trying to get you from your universe right here where you're super comfortable to step into the discomfort of learning something new, changing your habits and believing something new. And challenging beliefs is so huge. And that's all we're doing. And that's everything that we're doing. All of L&D and all of that other stuff is me persuading you to step out of your comfort zone and get into the discomfort of learning something new and feeling like a fool for a while because you don't know to be in a better place. Right. And that's, I'm that's really, really all it is. I'm uh, to ask. I'm, I'm tempted to ask, have you ever been asked to present the same content to multiple audiences, right? So you can have... You talked about call centers, right? So you, you have the internal training, which is to the CSAs, the call center agents, and then you have the sales sales teams, which are the external facing. And then you have the end user, which uses the same content, but is from a user perspective. I'm wondering yeah. if you've come across a format where you had to take the same content and present it from three different to three different audiences. <laughs> and what did you do in that situation? Um, so yes, um, I've had customer facing, Uh, sales team facing and like um, and yet like you said it was um, it was more like a internal uh, internal leadership okay now for me you can't you can't necessarily use the same stories for those things because the challenges for each audience will be different so okay. so one of the things that would happen is like for a customer right? The challenge is is different, like uh, because and also you you want to place like I wouldn't place a you know you wouldn't place a a, a customer and, and and this this actually happens and this is kind of an interesting uh, dilemma and I'm not I don't want to be a purist I don't want to say this is the only way that it works mm -hmm. but I saw this training let's say it was the training was for nurses mm -hmm. and it had um, what it did is it had. Um, the protagonist in the story, in the training story was a patient and the patient was going through um, some sort of surgery and some heavy recovery. And then at the end, hopefully they recovered. And, and, and during the time they were dealing with, with different nurses. Right. And for me, everybody's like, well, that's cool because what happens is then the nurses learn empathy for the client because they'll see what that client is going through. And I'm like, okay, that's sure. That's one way of thinking about it. And I'm like, it might work, but I would almost say that in some ways, if your training is for nurses, you might want to make it about a nurse who is struggling with certain things that you might, because the challenges that the conflict that that person would be going through, a lot of times what I want people to feel is like, not only could that be me, But also when they're going through those conflicts in the middle, I want them to feel like they're not abstract things, that they're actually things like when I go back to my work, I've made that decision before, right? Yeah, it's totally like there's, it's not going to be a super direct correlation a lot of times, but there's, there's patterns there that I can recognize that I can apply in my own work. And so for me, that's, you know, that's, and that's the lens you got to look through. You have to have this ultimate empathy for your end user. And so 
uh, when you're looking at the customer, you have to figure out what are their challenges? What are they struggling with? Um, they might not need a story always. They might need a really, really awesome FAQ guide. You know, that's cool. Right. But I come in with that storytelling mindset because I know that storytelling can augment already a great process that's already happening, right? Like if they already have um, a fabulous resource somewhere, the let's say the customers do, but they don't even know that they need it or that it would help them, a story might entice them to actually be like, hey, this is actually going to be worth it for me to learn about the software because at the end, I'll be able to like have uh, way more productive meetings that I never thought about or whatever it is. So it just, um, if you're looking at it through that lens, you always look at through it. And I think it's just design think thinking, right? Where you're like looking at things from a empathy perspective for that user. And then based on that, you craft the stories that would resonate with them and their challenges at that point and what they want. Right, right. Um, and so far we've been talking about at least my perspective, we've been talking about, you know, either stories that can be read through e-learning or through video, but there's many other mediums to communicate that story, right? So there's, mm -hmm. it can be print, it can be photography, it could be, you know, sometimes I've seen a, a, a photograph that can tell an entire story, just, just at one click. Um, you know, there's video, obviously there's audio with podcasting and, you know, there's the, 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 the media just keep going on and on and on. How do you okay. match the correct medium with the correct story? What is the secret sauce there? Um, so I don't like, okay. There's a, there's a definitely like for me, uh, I, I, st I stick in my zone mm -hmm. because if there's, there's been years back, I was like, yeah, I can do it all. I can become a, because, okay. And the, the reason I'm saying this caveat is that, is I think that in order to tell stories well, um, there are, there's a medium that you want to maybe choose or couple and then really get good at that because there's nuances to each medium, right? Sure. There's nuances to being, um, to telling a really good story on a podcast. There is like, uh, I've listened to some storytelling podcasts, like one of the uh, really cool ones is uh, Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Amazing, right? It's but the voice if, modulation, it's the music, it's the setting the stage, it's the amazing. emotion, right? Yeah, exactly. And so all of that is put in there. Like my medium is, um, is illicit, like visual communication. I, I leverage that a lot. So for me to step into something else, I'd be like, okay, I need to work with an expert. I need to collaborate on this because there is so, so many nuances, right? Um, now, the other thing you want to consider is, especially if your story is a, a learning type of story, is um, that mo many people will consume the same story, same story, but in different ways. And if you can expose them to the same story uh, in many different ways, why not? So uh, one way would be, let's say, you can create a narrative where somebody is going through, let's say it's kind of like a mini case study, but it's actually the story of somebody's like, let's say experiences, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can learn do that in a podcast, but then you can create an interactive experience where somebody's actually making decisions and seeing the consequences. So it's the same story, but now it's got more uh, user autonomy. So it's just a different perspective. So it's the same story, but repurposed for different consumption. And I wouldn't say that there is a, a perfect match for each one. I think what happens is we don't have that luxury. We could say, you know, we're going to do it on a desktop because 
articulates not so great on mobile yet. Right. <laughs> so uh, we're going to design the desktop experience for our for employees, and maybe we can do a podcast where we actually hire professional voiceover actors and we script that in a way that is really immersive. So, you know, it's within your budget, it's within your timelines, it's within what you know what your people also expect, like where they consume their their learning. Because right. I think a lot of times we're like mobile, they'll they'll learn on their commute, and I'm like on their commute, they're going to like, listen to Spotify. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's like, they've been waiting for their playlist to, you know, for the music. I'm like, they're not going to learn, yes, you know? Yes. And, so. some, and sometimes you just tune everything out. Like, like today <laughs> I was just, I just kept driving. I was so lost in my thoughts. You could have music, you could have whatever playing in the car. And I just, I went past my destination actually, because I was yeah. so lost in my thoughts. It's a Zen, um, right? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and somebody just, people just want that peaceful moment, right? That's, you know, not every medium is going to work for every audience. That, that's Absolutely. the other flip side of the situation. Um, let's talk about feedback. Uh, with a visual medium, um, e-learning format, there's the opportunity to provide feedback to the learner. And, and that goes back to the scenario-based setting, but there's other ways of providing feedback. What are some of the ways that you have given feedback to your learner, learners and do you think it is critical to get feedback on what is being learned? That's a, that's an excellent question. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because we, we want to handhold everybody. We want to say, okay, but if you didn't get it here, let us tell you exactly what you didn't get. So you make sure you, you know, (laughs) so, (laughs) so here's my philosophy on it. Um, I think that especially with, and I do love scenario-based learning. And it's funny because I think that we talk about scenario-based learning, like everybody's doing it, but it, there's a lot of people that are doing it terribly, terribly. We got even that, let's improve that. But so I use a lot of scenarios because I think that one of the things that is the most, one of the most engaging things is to make storytelling with a choose your own adventure, right? To, to be able to- The gamification make, element. Yeah, make yeah. and make autonomy. To be able to direct the story is like, amazing like you're like wow this is a story but i don't just get to sit here i get to actually decide how this unfolds that is like autonomy and like agency we call it agency agency and storytelling together crazy mix of like super powerful engagement so even if you don't add anything else to it because if you think about uh connect with hedgehog there's no gamification it's just choice consequence choice consequence that's all it is and that's what i think is important so for me, the framework, when you're designing anything and you want people to have feedback, you, you, it's, it's, the framework is you have a situation, you have choices, you have consequences to those choices, and then you have feedback. And it's separate. Those, a lot of people mix up feedback and consequences. So the difference between a consequence and feedback is if I touch my hand to the iron, I scream, and I say, that's hot, ow, ow, that's a consequence of my action. And then feedback can come up and say, touching an iron's bad, it burns your hand. That's the difference. Okay. And so don't rob me. One of the things that'll happen, which is really cool, is if you do your consequences right, if your decisions are pretty awesome and you do your consequences right, I don't even have to say, ow, that hurt. I can just look at my hand. You can show me a burnt hand mm-hmm. and I know I can deduce that it wasn't the right decision to make. Right. Once I make that connection for myself as an adult, the feedback is like, oh yeah, cool, superfluous. 
not really necessary. Okay, you filled some gaps. But first, I get to experience and have that aha for myself. And when that happens, that's a way better lesson than anybody telling me that feedback. We can include the feedback because sometimes what can happen, and this happens a lot actually in, um, I think in soft skills, where you can make a decision about how somebody's going to, uh, how to handle a situation Mm -hmm. and you'll get a consequence and you don't, and because you're still so kind of stuck in your own uh, universe, right? You know, how you, you don't necessarily perceive that as like the wrong thing. Like I remember I had like um, my mom go through broken coworker and she is a very timid, passive person. And so she made decisions, right? And I watched her. I thought, thought, this is not going to be so fun. And she's going through this experience as Sam. And she's making all the passive decisions and just getting, like, just beaten down by the bully. Mm -hmm. But she's thinking it's okay. She's like, oh, I guess that was, you know. And I was like, oh, man. She's not going to, she's not going to get it. She's going to, we're going to kick her out early and be like, listen, you're not getting it. You're being too passive. You got to stand up to the bully. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, what happens is she still gets feedback on each individual decision that she made saying, you made this decision. This didn't help you because of this. And so what happens is the feedback is actually really cool because it can be a way for you to reinforce key ideas and have the person come back to that situation again. So I like to put the feedback, not after the, uh, right after the situation, I like to put it at the very, very end where we revisit all the decisions again. For me, that's like, uh, it, we call it a modular epilogue, where basically what happens is we go through and say, this is what you did. So it makes them not only experience the situation uh, again, but now they're getting more valuable info because they're like, oh, I thought, you know, I thought I handled that well. So, right, right. so you just have to do it right. You just can just dump info on people, but there is a place for pe- feedback. There is. That's great. So. And, and constructive feedback, which is what I noticed about what you said. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the, the other thing about that distinguishes good storytelling from bad storytelling is transitions, right? How do you move between one element of the story to the next? So it could be a stra- transition between beginning to middle, middle to end, or it could be a transition between the story and what needs to be learned, the facts. If it's a smooth transition, the viewer won't even notice it. If it is an abrupt transition, it's going to be so glaringly apparent that you're going to be turned off by that story and the, and what's coming after. What are the different types of transitions that you've used and how do you strategically place them in the story? So it's kind of interesting because we get a lot of leeway with this because our mind, uh, we call it the, the gestalt effect where, mm-hmm. you know, you have like three things, but if you put them in order, then our, our mind will be like, this, these things go in order. Let me try and fit them together, right? I mean, to a point, to a point. But still, but still, we, we do that. Because, because like you said earlier, we have this need to create, um, you know, stack things together and remember them and have this, you know, this little scaffold for ourselves. Right. So we right. do that naturally. So we do have a lot of leeway with transitions. Um, but it can be, it, it's funny because with, Uh, You know, when you're, for me, when you're transitioning from one scene to the next, it can be as simple as later that day. Mm -hmm. And, and it's funny because, you know, when you, um, you do have to, you do have to go through your story and say, do these things kind of make sense in sequence? Like I, I put together this one 
uh, interactive story for um, uh, for this NGO. And we had a, um, it was in one of those very difficult contexts. Uh, and one of the things that happened was in the middle, they got a call about a, um, a bomb threat. Mm. And it was, and it came like, it was like the third, <laughs> kind of halfway through the day. And then I thought about it and I was like, wait a minute. Well, all the other things, the rest of the day ain't going to happen because if they get a bomb threat, they're going to evacuate. So right. we can't have this in the middle of, you know, of the story. It's just not going to work because I want them to go through all the entire story. So we had it at the end. So you just have to check if things are logical and also uh, realize that sometimes it's just, it's just a simple, uh, a simple, you know, black screen that says later that day or 15 minutes later, you don't have to over explain because our mind will fill it in and be like, yeah, of course, it's later that day or later that week. It's, it's, that's enough. And like I said, tested with other people because right. it works. Now, transitioning to content is interesting. Um, and I've seen this done many, many, many times because a lot of the times what happens is I'm when I'm working with, uh, with my students, they'll be like, oh, I have, I'm doing this compliance thing. And they have all these reports that they have to like, you know, all these check marks that they have, all these documents that they have to review at each different parts of the story. But one of the things that, that allows a story allows you to do is if your situations are contextual to when that content is being used and you frame it that way, then it's not a bother, especially if the, if the decisions and the situations are quite provocative and important. And to be honest with compliance, you know, you don't sign, you know, you don't shred the right thing. You could be sued, right? So if you amp that, amp up the worst case scenario, people are like, okay, I better check this policy out. By the way, we've got, you've got the policy right here. Cool. So it's not, so you're being like, you know, you're not dumping it on people. You're, you're kind of incorporating it and making it, I think you've mentioned this before, it's contextual, right? Yes. You're like, ah, now it makes sense instead of getting it all at the end and like, oh, I don't even know what to do with it. So um, that's a part of it is making it contextual right in that moment. And then, and then it feels good. Right. I, I think I have the answer to my next question, but I'm still going to go ahead and ask, <laughs> is there a place for comedy in storytelling? And how does it how has it worked i mean does it work to get the attention of the of the viewer um should we be very strategic about it i, I mean it's 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 one of those things that are they're a welcome break not everybody uses comedy and storytelling but you know people who use it they use it really really well and then there are those who you know it, it'll be it sticks out like a sore thumb so <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a well, what do you think of it what what was what would you say what would you say I, I think for people who who you know if it comes naturally to you by all means but if you're trying to force it i i, I you know i can be very animated in conversation but if you put it in i in l and d i tend to be a very serious person just <laughs> because I have an academics background. So for me, comedy doesn't come very naturally, but if it comes naturally, by all means, but I want to hear your perspective. Like, have you <laughs> dabbled in it? Has it worked for you? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I agree with you. Like if you're, I mean, everybody thinks they're funny. I mean, you're, you're very self-aware, like <laughs> seriously self-aware because most people think that, you know, they tell a joke, everybody's going to get it. And, and yeah. you know, they're, but um and I think people shy away from laughter and from humor for some reason. Uh, I don't know if it is that, you know, we are very serious people. Right. But what humor does is, is you don't realize that 
the things that we deal with are very serious. And one of the things that we're doing in our story is amping up some serious stakes as well. So if you have a situation that's very uh, intense and you're you're like, oh, this is life or death, or this is very, um, you know, he's going to lose his job. What happens is if you build the tension up so high, mm-hmm. you there there has to be a, a point there where you where you release it a little bit so that he can build it up again. So you don't necessarily have to make cracking jokes all the time to break it up. But what you can do is add a little bit of like uh, some uh, quirky uh, some quirky dialogue, or you can add some fun observations or self-deprecating humor for that character. Like here's an example. You can be like, oh man, I totally, I totally bombed that, that, uh, that presentation. What are they going to think of me? Oh man, but I always, if I just didn't wear that bow tie. I know it's the bow tie. You know, like it's little things like that, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's just, a little bit of pun in there. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh boy, right? You're just like, oh boy. Um, but what happens is, and that's what we kind of did with um, with Broken Coworker. It was, to be bullied is very um, negative. Is very negative, obviously. Right. But in the middle of it, we thought, why don't we add something a little quirky? So one of the the scenarios is that Emma comes up to, uh, who's the bully, comes up to Sam and she says, "Hey, Sam, you're so strong. You want to open up this pickle jar for me?" <laughs> and it's so weird, and it just totally like takes the tension off because you're like, "What? This lady is crazy, right?" But it, but but it takes the tension off because we continue on with the tension for the rest. So. Right. But it's, it's, um, you'll feel it. uh, And I feel you, you feel it, you might not feel it in the script, and in your decisions when you're writing it out, but you'll feel it more like, let's say, if you are developing e-learning, and and you're developing this experience, you can see how it feels. And then there'll be points where you're like, I need a breath here. Can we can we ease this up here? And then you can say, Okay, can we do something quirky here just to just to knock people off of their um, there's, it's called like a pattern interrupt, right? Mm-hmm. Can we just do a little pattern interrupt to be like, okay, let him have a breath before we bring him back in. So right, right. play with it, play with it. It's uh, I say one of the things you do is just go over the top. And then as people comment, you can bring it down. <laughs> Um, I I think it can also if it's done well it can function as a really good transition as well that's that's one of the ideas of breaking the rhythm and and moving from one segment to the next is is having that clean break it's kind of like that black screen divider that you talked about except it's done in a in a funny quirky way it Um, is and I think it also the other thing is that we uh, remember things uh, that are tied to emotions Right. So if you can tie in something funny, um, make somebody laugh, they'll tie that emotion to that experience. And that's a good thing. So you, right. the more different kinds of emotions you can bring into your experience, the better, because people will now remember those things more deeply because they're ingrained in multiple levels. So right. Right. Yeah, yeah, enjoy yeah. that. <laughs> All right. One technical question. Is there an optimal length to a story? And if so, what is it? Hmm. That's a good technical question. That's like saying, how long does it take to develop e-learning? You know, everybody says that. It's like, oh, no, man. that's that. There's research behind that. I mean, <laughs> there is, but, but I would say. It depends say, on how much you want to embellish it. <laughs> no, actually, no, it depends on what you're producing. And if you have a framework, 
you can produce things in days. Right. So, right. yeah. But, um, yeah. And it also depends on how much content you're handling and, and all of that stuff and yeah. access to resources, all of that. But, yeah, yeah if yeah. I had to knock off something. You but know, back to the question. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, is there like a formula is what I'm asking. Like there's research behind one hour of like if I were to go by ATD's research, right? One hour of, of instructor-led takes about 40, 42 hours to design roughly. Um, and then one is to eight when it's e-learning but if i were to put a formula a ratio um mm -hmm. five minutes of storytelling mm. is, is is that is there so an what, optimal length to how long i can grab the viewer's attention because i don't it, you know you don't want to ramble on is is is, is every storyteller's fear right i don't want to keep rambling on and lose my audience at some point so i'm asking what is this what is the optimal length so it varies. Of course, you're going to hear that answer, right? But one of the things, um, like most, like I said, you know, when you first crafting your story, you're going to go and ramble it all out. And then, and then what happens is you start cutting back to just enough to have that lesson click. Okay. And so what I've seen, and, and the other thing that we're doing is we're always modeling. We're not inventing anything here. I would, I would, if I'm designing a new project, I will look at 15 other projects that I've done and that my students have done that are out there and saying, this is working. This is engaging. I like this context. And they have, their story is seven minutes from beginning to end, like broken code for seven minutes. I'm like, I'm going to model that. Then I'm going, I'm going to model that. And then I'm still going to test it to see Maybe I don't need as much. Like one of my students, Kimberly, she, when she first drafted her interactive story, it was six questions mm -hmm. and awesome, lots of details. And then she went back and she started paring it down, paring it down, paring it down. And she said, you know what? Three questions will do. Her interactive story became five minutes. And guess what? It's a killer. It's a killer workplace war zone, right? But it's, but you, it's almost like you need to get all of that stuff out first, model something that you find is resonating with you and it will fit for that project. And then you can go back and say, okay, now can I even do even better? And, that, and then that's how it goes. I, I haven't seen anything, you know, that goes over 15 minutes, to be honest okay. with you. Okay. But the other thing you're thinking about is what if somebody wants to go through this again? Right? right. That would be fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is do your research before you, you decide on what your length is going to be, do your research on what works and what doesn't work. Yes. What resonates with you? Because that'll probably resonate with other humans as well. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you briefly mentioned gamification and storytelling. Can you give me a few examples of when you've used gamification? What are the different ways you've used it in storytelling? Um, so obviously one of the things I love to do is, uh, look at games, like actual adult games, like uh -huh. Deus Ex and Walking Dead to see what game elements they use. And I use like, we use gamification in every single, uh, interactive story that I've, I've done. The difference is, um, whether the game elements are something that are on the back end that I'm tracking on the back end. Mm -hmm. or there's something that is shown to people to enhance the experience. So okay. examples of gamification could be that when somebody's making a decision um, in the story, I add a little bit of a timer to make, to add the stakes up, 
like make sure that it's a little bit more stressful for them because in the context, it makes sense. They can't sit around and think about what they're going to do for five minutes. They got to answer right now because the stakes are high. Um, other things you can do is if let's say we use this in, in broken coworker, if you're, um, if you're pretty passive in your story and you're not making the right decisions, I don't let you get to the end because you haven't earned it. So I kick you out so you can, you know, see how terribly you've messed up and hopefully you try again, which a lot of people do. Um, other, so that's, that is something that is a metric that's running underneath that I'm scoring, but nobody sees that. They're just, uh, they're not aware of that. There are other places where I want to make it explicit that we're grading them on certain things, uh, which is interesting because depending, the game mechanics, what they do is they amplify elements of your learning that you want to add to your story. So what happens is, uh, let's say you can create a story that has no gamification elements. It's simply a, a story with some decisions and the decisions, which I almost, you know, and the decisions leads to consequences and then leads to the next part of the story and the story ends. Mm -hmm. So you can create these, these levels. Now uh, with uh, let's say you can show people meters. Like one of my students did a, uh, she did a customer service story with this new rep and it was super fun. But one of the things that happened is when this person was facing these difficult customers in her workplace, um, she showed this meter of um, two meters. One was um, how you're doing on your empathy and how you're doing on your efficiency. And so some calls, you know, some discussions would be uh, one would go up, one would go down, mm -hmm. but she wanted to put that there because they would add a little bit of stress to their uh, conversation but also it emphasized these two things that were very important to their, um, to their ethos, because a lot of people sometimes, you know, they're, they're really good at the customer service, but they'll talk to somebody for 55 minutes and then there's 60 people waiting in the queue. Oh, wow. So she wanted to add that because that was that extra layer. Exactly. So these, what these things are doing is after you've crafted a really tight story, and when I say tight, I mean, you have a relatable character. They have something that they want to strive for. The decisions are really meaningful for that character. Then you can say, how can I make this a little, how can I amp this up? How can I make this a little more challenging? How can I add little layers here that make this uh, a more contextual experience? And that's, and those are some of the things that you can do. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Anna, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. There's obviously so many facets to storytelling. We can keep going, but I do want to leave the listeners with one more thing. If they want to work with you and they want to specialize in storytelling, where can they find you and how can they work with you? Scenariosecrets.com. Awesome. That's it. Awesome. Ah, this was so much fun. I really appreciate you having me on. This was yes. wonderful. Your questions are so thoughtful. You're obviously a student of storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, you know, I loved learning from you. I've learned just as much out of the conversation and I'm sure we'll interact again on another podcast or some other conference at some point. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.